Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show is a platform for Queen's researchers to discuss the significance to and benefits of their research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queen's Radio in Kingston, and we're in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca slash research. In today's show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Lee Ayrton. Dr. Ayrton is an assistant professor of gender and sexuality studies in education with the Faculty of Education. Their research program explores the micropolitics of gender and sexual diversity accommodation in K-12 at teacher education, with particular emphasis on the issues facing transgender and or non-binary people in those settings. They recently published a, pop, a popular book entitled Gender, Your Guide, a gender-friendly primer on what to say, what to know, what to do in the new gender culture. As an advocate, Dr. Ayrton founded They Is My Pronoun and the No Big Deal campaign. In 2017, they received the Youth Role Model of the Year Award from the Canadian Centre for Gender and Sexual Diversity. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the show. Hi, Barry. Thanks for having me. My well, pleasure. Let's start by uh, talking a little bit about your, your book. I'm going to quote from the, the webpage uh, that promotes the book. The days of two genders, male-female, boy-girl, blue-pink, are over, if they ever existed at all. Gender is now a global conversation and one that's constantly evolving. More people than ever before are openly living their lives as transgender men or women, and many transgender people are coming out as neither men or women, instead living outside of the binary. Gender is changing, and this change is gaining momentum. We all want to do and say the right things in relation to gender diversity, whether a job interview, a parent-teacher night, or at a family dinner. But where to begin? Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, I think um, the reason why I wrote Gender Your Guide, and just to be clear, it is a popular press book. It does take um, a lot of what we know from research literature and from my own uh, experience with teaching about these things. It takes all of that and it packages it for somebody who really doesn't have a clue where to start. So what I noticed when I began doing public education around things like gender neutral pronouns and the diversity under the transgender umbrella is that there weren't a lot of resources that actually gave people practical instructions, (laughs) practical advice, right? So um, what I noticed were a lot of advocacy based resources, like this is why transgender people should be um, openly welcome and accepted and included, right? Or this is why we might have to think differently about things like pronouns, but not a lot of um, resources that actually let you know what to do. So the book is basically a what to do, what to know, what to say, precisely that's what it says in the title. And um, I'm really excited that it's out in the world. To me, it seems like a new frontier. Mm. Um, Many people feel that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which in, which isn't entirely accurate because the ways of living gender that are coming more into public life um, that we usually put underneath the trans umbrella, those have actually always been with us. 
So there have always been ways of living gender that are outside of the girl-woman box on one hand and the boy-man box on the other hand, but because through many different reasons they've been kind of suppressed and pushed underground, many people have the impression that this is a new, a newfangled thing, when in fact it's just uh, the reemergence of something very old. What do you think is causing that, uh, th that momentum? Mm. Well, I think there's a, a bunch of things. First of all, transgender people have been pushing back against um, different social systems and different kinds of um, infrastructure and ways of accessing what we need to have our needs met, have been pushing back against that for many, many years. First, because it didn't... Um, society and government struggled to acknowledge and recognize that trans people exist, and then later struggling against a system that required us to show up in only two particular ways. As women who were born and assigned male, or as men who were born and assigned female. And with all these sort of very um, strict conceptions of what that looks like, so there was a lot of regulation of transgender people. You had to have particular different kinds of medical interventions in order to be able to change your identification, whether or not those medical interventions were things that you personally needed and required. So there's, there's sort of a long history of trans activism, first pushing to have any kind of recognition and then pushing against the idea that any kind of medical or governmental system gets to say who we are and what we need to do. What would you say is the... the the top one or two issues that are of concern to this community now. Um, you, know, you hear about the, the, the unisex bathrooms. Mm -hmm. is, is that one of the issues that is of concern? Or are you, you're obviously focused on vocabulary. Mm -hmm. um, jump in here. And sure. I think that because of what's happening now is a general growth and awareness that thinking about transgender people and living transgender life in public and the things that we need, because there's a general growth and awareness that it isn't as simple as, oh, well, you can actually just access the women's bathroom now, or, oh, well, now you can just use the men's. Um, there's a more and more, um, more and more growth in people's understanding that it isn't as simple as that. I think that's really interesting and really promising and why I, why I say that my book is a book for this time and place because the way that transgender people are emerging into public life kind of defeats pretty simple ideas of what gender is and what gender means. So the top of mind issues for many of us, particularly on the non-binary end of the transgender spectrum, so in neither one of those, gen those binary boxes, what's top of mind for us is realizing that if we have to advocate for our access to different kinds of services, we're doing it in a bit of a different way than trans people who are women or who are men. So institutions like Queen's itself, like schools, like school boards, like businesses and workplaces are realizing that what they have to do with their facilities, with their ways of organizing their labor force, for example, have to be a little bit different than just admitting some people into this category that is that doesn't have to change. So it's an exciting time because what's required in order to accommodate people on the non-binary end of the spectrum are some institutional changes that actually benefit a lot of people. Like there are many people who, for many different reasons, um, don't have their needs met by um, sort of narrow stalled binary gendered washrooms, right? So the provision of more accessible bathrooms hopefully will be something that comes into play. Um, many institutions like Queen's have a policy that if there's a significant renovation or new build, they must have a particular number of accessible all-gender bathrooms built, which is wonderful. Um, we just had two new, two new ones added to my building, MacArthur College, on the second and third floors, which is wonderful. And that works for all kinds of people. 
so um, yeah, I think I think what's top of mind is is looking at deeper kinds of changes that need to take place and uh, finding ways to follow through on those. It sounds like the the concepts are being defined and explored, but at the same time, uh, change is happening, and we want to embrace and encourage our our communities to embrace some of these concepts. Mm-hmm. Let's turn the, the conversation to school a little bit. Your current research explores how K twelve schools are responding to the inclusion of gender identity and gender expression protections in human rights legislation, including implications for teacher education. Mm-hmm. Talk about that for a bit. Yeah, um, absolutely. So in the province of Ontario, and in fact in every province and territory, because education is a provincial or territorial responsibility and area of jurisdiction, um, so in every single province or territory in Canada, every single citizen or person residing there has protection from discrimination on these two grounds, gender identity, which is one's internal sense of oneself as a man, woman, both or neither, and gender expression, which is what I say to my students. It's kind of like the flag that we put up, we run up our flagpole every day when we leave our house. Mm, gender so our, expression. Our grooming, yeah. our, our hair, our removal or augmentation of facial hair, our clothing, etc. And, and there's many el- other elements too. So everyone has these two protections. And I am very interested in exploring how through in media, but also in the very policy documents that are guiding K-12 schools implementation of these, of this uh, response to this law, I'm interested in how these protections are being delimited to only people who are transgender. And that is actually not how they are written in the text of the Ontario Human Rights Code. So we have all kinds of interesting situations with tribunal decisions where people are being denied access to gender expression protections because they are not transgender. When if a transgender person had brought that same kind of complaint, they may well have been granted access to those protections. Right. So there are a lot of misconceptions floating around, including in relation to the tribunal itself, about what these protections actually are. So I'm very interested with my colleague Kyle Kirkup at the University of Ottawa at looking at how school boards not only understand what these things are, so we can see what's out there, see how they're being implemented, and then offer maybe some different kinds of guidance. And Kyle's a a lawyer and a law professor, so that's where he comes in there. So we're looking not only at how they understand it, but also at how school boards are helping to construct the meaning societally of gender expression. Is there a, we just don't have enough case law at this point to say, to say what it is, so institutions are kind of stepping into that void. Is there a place currently where this kind of discussion can fit into existing curriculum, or is this going to have to require sort of more structural adjustment to to accommodate the, the this kind of a class or discussion? Right. Um, well, it's interesting you brought up the term curriculum because we aren't actually looking policy documents that we're looking at don't really touch the curriculum, okay. so the content of what is being taught and learned in schools, which is not only about the documents the province produces, but also how teachers are engaging their students with that content in class. So we don't see a lot. We actually don't see a lot of references to curriculum in the policy documents, hmm. which is interesting. Occasionally, there are some suggested guidelines for teachers of how they could teach um, in a way that is sort of gender expansive or more broadly gender inclusive but overwhelmingly what we're finding is any reference to gender identity or gender expression is contained in policies that touch exceptional situations things like discipline suspension expulsion and also transition interesting for students who are transitioning when what I hear and what I what we know in the literature is that teachers long for practical Mm -hmm. practical um 
offerings from folks like me about what they can actually do to produce the kind of environment we're talking about where GI and GE discrimination are less prevalent. Um, so what we're learning from teachers and what I hear all the time is tell us what we can actually put into practice, including via our curriculum, right. including in our classrooms when a lot of these policy documents only provide these exceptional sort of situational event-based procedures. So that's something we're going to be sharing with the world in yeah. the spring. Lots of room for growth. It's a growth, a growth industry. <laughs> It is. It's, it's a good time for this stuff. Usually at the end of the show, I try to bring out some of the personality of the researcher by asking them to uh, tell a joke or a story or a poem or something like that. So you asked me to think about that, Barry, and actually I couldn't think about a joke or a poem or a quote or a song that inspires my research. I actually thought about a term that a lot of us throw around which is me-search, which is kind of a joke. So it means that the research that I do in some way relates to things that I experience or I face myself. So my research is very much motivated by many, many years of participation and belonging in queer and transgender community. So noting what I and my fellow trans people experience as we move about in the world. So one of the things that I have learned that really drives my research and why I focus on um, micropolitics or sort of interaction, nitty-gritty ways of uh, welcoming gender diversity is because I and many other trans people know that things like policy documents and sort of language-based policy changes don't often filter down into the everyday interactions that people have with each other, where things like gender norms and gender boxes get reproduced and firmed up. So I am very interested in exploring what happens in a conversation, what happens in an encounter between a teacher and a student, even what happens when somebody walks into a new space and is sort of greeted by somebody else. I'm interested in all the ways that those micro interactions add up to um, how gender functions in a particular space. My guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been Dr. Lee Ayrton, Assistant Professor of Gender and Sexuality Studies and Education with the Faculty of Education. If you have a question about anything related to research that you would like discussed by our guests, or if you have any comments about today's conversation with Lee, please email me, Barry Kaplan, at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.